Great to be together, to worship God together this morning. Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6. Today we'll be focusing on verse 4 as we wrap up in in part 2 of a sermon uh, focus I started last week called Raising God's Children, God's Way. As we focused last week on verse 1 through 3 of chapter 6. I want to read all four verses together. And then I want to jump in as we have much to cover in this important verse of Scripture. Ephesians 6, 1-4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In case you're just joining us this morning, didn't hear last week's sermon, I want to highlight quickly what we saw in verse 1 through 3 last week. Number one, our children are ultimately God's children, whom He has created and entrusted to us, parents, to love and to shape for His glory, not for their glory, not for our glory. Children are to obey and honor their parents, not because of how it benefits them for doing so, not because of the punishment or consequences they avoid by doing so, but first and foremost, because it is the right thing to do, because it honors God's command on their life. Children, this needs to be our highest motivation. I want to honor God, and so I will heed His command to obey and honor my parents. We saw that respect and honor for one's parents are more than action. They are surely action. Children are to honor and respect their parents, but again, not because they're good parents, not because you like them, but because God ordained them to be your parents. And so we honor them and respect them, not just with our actions, but with our heart, with our mind. Because that's the right disposition to have towards the authority that God has put over us as kids. When children obey and honor their parents, their life goes better. Because they properly learn to honor and respect all of those that God puts in authority over them and therefore will suffer less consequences in learning to do so. Finally, for those children who are blessed with saving faith, to you who are believing, young or old, the power and presence of the Lord in your life is the greatest help and inspiration you have to obey and honor your parents well. Lean into Christ and all that He is in your life to do so. Paul continues on this topic in verse 4, the focus of our morning, and there's lots to do. The first section, do not parent in the flesh. Look with me, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Clearly, children are to obey and honor both their mother and their father, as we see above. So why then does Paul turn to speak to the fathers as he moves to the application of our parenting to our kids? The fact that Paul focuses on the father is mainly due to the reality of God's design for headship of the man in the home. While the helpmate, the wife, 
The mother is called to have an important daily role in nurturing and training up of the children. The ultimate one who is responsible for parenting to be done well and according to God is the head of the home. It is the father. If you remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God came to call them to account, it didn't matter that Eve ate first of the forbidden fruit. When God came looking for them, he called out Adam, Genesis 3, 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's worthy to slow and inquire this of the modern church to each of us. Man, husband, father, where are you? Church, please understand, if something is not working right in your house, Jesus comes knocking on the door. He may have an issue with your wife or with your kids, but the first thing he's going to say when you open the door or when someone opens the door is, is the man of the house home? Not because the wife or the children are not capable or competent to answer Jesus' accountability. Surely they will. But because God designed for the man to be the one responsible to lead the family. So the call to bring up the children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is foremost a call to the head of the home. But what is also true is that in God's good design, He provided a helpmate. For this important job to get done. So while there is emphasis of accountability on the head of the home. This is not just a call for the fathers. But is for the parents. Mother included. Before we look to the focus of the command. Let me ask you dads this question. How seriously do you take your call. When it comes to parenting your children. Have you set the vision. And the pace. For how this is done in your home. Even if in many ways, in many days, your wife is the one helping or doing the daily attention to these details. Brothers, we don't get to just leave it to them. This is our God-given role to lead. To be sure that you are applying the God-given priorities for how He wants His kids, that He's entrusted to us to be raised. God looks to us, the husband, the father, to set the course of action and accountability in our homes for how the training up of the children will go. I know you're busy at work. I know there's many things calling for your attention. But see with me how high this priority is for you. May we be humble today to lean in, to grow, to see where we can improve in righteousness and honoring God in these ways. What are you teaching your kids, fathers? How are they learning God's word? Ladies, you don't get to say to the husband, hey, you're not here, so you don't know. Husbands, you would be wise to listen to and walk with your wives, for often they are the ones on the ground. But at the end of the day, fathers, it is your job to set the course and to be sure that it is being done according to God's word. Now, with that under our feet, what does Paul mean when he says we are not to provoke our children to anger? 
Paul is essentially saying there are balanced and loving ways to exercise authority that honors God. And then there's not. He says this again in his letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians 3, 18-21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Do you hear it? Do not be harsh with your wife as you love and lead her, and do not provoke your children as you love and lead them. To provoke is to stir to anger. I titled this this section of my sermon, Do Not Parent in the Flesh. The reason why is because parenting in the flesh is sinful, and it not only dishonors God, but it hurts the children. It stirs them to anger. The flesh is the ego of mankind, which feels an emptiness in our sin, and then turns to its own resources, its own power, to try to fill that gap, overcome those struggles. That's the work of the flesh. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. The basic mark of the flesh is that it is unsubmissive to God. It does not want to submit to God's absolute authority or rely on God's absolute mercy. It wants to stand on its own. It says, I'd rather do it myself. And when we give into the flesh, we look to serve ourselves and not God. When we parent in the flesh, we essentially are looking out only for ourselves and not what honors God and how we love and lead our kids. Parents, think about all the times when you get impatient, frustrated, short, and angry at your kids. This happens because at the end, you're really just thinking about you. What you're not getting from them. You've made it about you. Whether it be respect or obedience or follow through or something else, When we don't get what we want, then we resort to the flesh. The flesh looks to protect and satisfy itself. And so we yell. And we throw things. And we overreact. When we parent from the flesh, we're lazy. We're short. We're disengaged. It doesn't build up the child as God intends it. It's not formative. It's responsive. Instead of pausing our TV show and getting off the couch to go take a knee and give proper attention to the child that needs care, direction, or discipline, we resort to yelling and demanding obedience. Not because it's good for the child or because it's going to glorify God, but because they're interrupting our precious TV show. Here's the thing. Your kids know when you're doing this. They know it. It's very frustrating for them. When when you are selfishly disengaged or distant, when you're more interested in what you need than what they need, 
Jennifer and I will use the phrase to our children in calling for their right and respectful attention to say, look into my eyes. What is funny and sad is that my three-year-old Savannah, as of late, will use this phrase back at us. When she is getting frustrated that we're not listening to her. Or when I'm selfishly ignoring her. Mom, Dad, look into my eyes. <laughs> this is a three-year-old. who's frustrated at a lack of right engagement of a parent. Because we're stuck in whatever we're doing. So how do we not parent from the flesh? We must parent from the Spirit. Galatians 5 is clear to talk about how the the flesh is at war with the Spirit. Praise God for those of us who are saved by Christ. We have the Spirit on board. We're not just dead in sin. We're not just dead men walking. There's the power to do what's righteous and for the glory of God within. The work of the Spirit. Slow with me, parents, to consider the fruit of the Spirit. As I read this, consider your parenting. See the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit going to work in your parenting. Galatians 5, 22-23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. Kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self control. Parents, we need to be loving, joyful, patient, and kind, and good, and faithful and gentle and self-controlled when we're parenting our children. Whenever we resort to the flesh, we're ultimately looking to serve ourselves instead of serving God. Parenting from the flesh is toxic. It's harmful. Damages your relationship with your child. But when the Spirit is at work in you, God blesses the discipline and shaping that you do with your child. Fathers, your kids will sin. They will disrespect you. They will miss your expectations for them. And this is why they need your leadership, your shaping, your coaching, your wisdom, your discipline, why they need the fruit of the Spirit to be at work in you. What they don't need is your flesh flying off the handle so that you are appeased and can keep doing other things. We must not resort to fleshly tactics like cursing, yelling, losing our temper, ignoring them, holding grudges, and on and on. 
They are sinful kids who will be immature, who will be lame at life if we fail to love and lead them as God has told us to. To do this, we must take the needed time to clarify, to instruct, to model, and to lead them where they need to go. We can't just hang our hat on, I told you, and so you should know what it looks like. No, parenting requires much more time and investment than this. When we parent in the flesh, we discourage them. This is Paul's warning in Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. While God has given tremendous authority to parents over their kids, a domineering approach is not a divine instrument for bringing up kids in the Lord. Our parenting must never demean or destroy them. This will lead to great discouragement. The problem is, while few parents would ever say that this is what they are intending to do, when we parent from our flesh, we lead our kids this way more than we realize. God's Word is clear. It cannot come to this. Parents, you need, your kids need you to be the one who is mature, who is grounded, who is even-tempered, so that you can, so that they can follow you unto what is good and God-honoring, unto what is right, unto what they need. Yes, righteous anger is real, but it is righteous. It is fueled by the Spirit, and it honors God in all of its ways. So we're not going to hang our hat on, this is righteous anger, if it's not produced in the fruit of the Spirit. You won't do this well without Christ at the helm of your heart, and life, and your mind. Parents, we're desperate to be growing in Christ all the time. Fervent to be in the Word and in prayer so that we're abiding in the vine and not parenting from what, only what we have to offer in our flesh. Are you fueling yourself rightly, daily, to be equipped to parent in the Spirit and not in the flesh? To not be abiding in the vine, in the Word, in prayer. It's to not be filled with the Spirit in a way by which it goes to work. It's to be barren and, and dry and, and scrambling for resources to parent well on your own. Paul moves from how we're not supposed to raise our children to how we are to raise them. God's way, under God's glory. Look with me. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There are details here that we'll get to in a moment. But see with me that everything Paul is saying here falls into the banner of bringing them up in the Lord. In this, Paul uses the same Greek word he used just a few verses ago when addressing husbands in the leading of their wives. That word is nourish. It means to bring up or to train up. Church, this is the essence of what discipleship is. 
The word disciple comes from the Latin word meaning student or leader. See how this is connected to the word discipline, which is from a Latin word meaning instruction and training. The emphasis of our parenting is to be training. Parents, too often our emphasis is just to get through the calendar, just to get through the school year, just to get through that phase of their lives, that season of sports. But the emphasis of our parenting is to be training, always training, bringing them up. Parents, why did God give you another day on this rock with your kids? To train them up. And so how will you bring them up today? When we say a parent's job is to raise their children, see with me from a biblical perspective that raising is emphasizing on training and maturing that child, what they need. They are growing. They are maturing. Here at Disciples Church, we often say it this way. You, the parents, are the God-appointed primary disciple-maker of your children. This is not the job of the church. It's not the job of the kids' ministry. It's not the job of the youth ministry. It's not the job of their Christian school or their Christian coach. It is your God-given priority for each of your children that God has entrusted to you. We, the church, see it as our job to partner with you and to help equip you for this important God-given priority in your life of being the primary disciple-maker of your children. Paul's press on the essence of God-honoring parenting is a walking with the child. A training that happens along the way. We see this in Scripture we looked at last week in Deuteronomy 6. The, the truths of the Lord are to be pressed upon them as we sit, as we lie down, as we go about our day. It's not just telling them and then sending them on their way, which, if we're honest, we can be often guilty of many days. Sadly, that's what much of the modern-day parent has taken on. Many parents do not set the table for their parenting to really walk with their children. They delegate far too much. The emphasis is instead, just be sure that they're taught what they need and keep them out of trouble. That's the emphasis of much modern day parenting. So we send them to school. We send them to church kids' ministries and youth groups. We send them to their sports teams. We send them to their music rehearsals. But we're rarely really walking with them. We're all too rarely the ones intentionally shaping, modeling, training, discipling in a hands-on way. One of the key things we must really stop and do business with is how much we have farmed out and delegated the training of our children to others. The fact that this is not what parents call are called to in Scripture. And God's Word is clear that we, the parents, are the God-prescribed means whereby the children are taught Trained, shaped, coached, disciplined, and discipled. So I ask you, parents, are you walking with them before they become adults? 
Are you intentional in your shaping of them? Do you see where they're at and where they need to go? And then you make plans and you make room and time to shape them and teach them unto those God-given priorities. What is the purpose of each day God gives you with your kids? Is it just to get them to the next grade? Just to get them to the next level of adolescence? Just to get them to adulthood? Or is it intentional? Is it daily, hands-on, so that you can train them in a very certain way unto a very certain goal? We are to bring them up. We are to bring them along. That means we are hands-on as parents. Present with them. Walking with them. Shaping them. Disciplining them. And coaching them along the way. This is the essence of discipleship. But what are our kids to be trained in? What are they to learn as we do this? Well, Paul is clear. They're to learn the disciplines and truths of the Lord. Discipleship is the process of following and learning from more mature Christians. It is training others in sound doctrine and how to be imitators of Christ. Is this the picture of your relationship with your children? at their varied stages of development. A way to evaluate this is, what makes what you are doing with them throughout the day different than the heathen down the street? God blessed our, your kids with Christian parents so that they would see Christ in all of their being trained up. Is that what they're seeing in you? Let's move into the details of how we're to bring them up. There's much to be discussed here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul's emphasis is two important areas. Discipline and instruction. The discipline of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. Let's first talk about discipline. Discipline has two sides to it. The practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior. Or discipline is using punishment to correct disobedience. The Greek word Paul uses here is paideia. It's where we get our word pediatrics. What is a pediatrician's primary concern? The overall health and development of the child. Paul's emphasis here is that there must be a training regimen, disciplines, full of disciplines that are good for the overall health and development of the child unto the Lord. This is essentially another facet of discipleship. It is the purposeful walking with and training that models, teaches, and coaches disciplines that glorify God and help the children, child grow and mature in the Lord. Something we need to do business with is the fact that this is not easy or light. Training is hard. Training makes you sore. Training takes time. Physical workouts are a real discipline because they go against our fleshly nature to take the road of least resistance. I often see someone running down the road, and I just want to say, why? Why? 
problem is if we leave our kids alone, they will most often choose the road of least resistance. Their flesh will choose junk food, video games, and lazy living. You want to test this, leave them home all day alone with free access to delivery or the grocery list or whatever they want to do with their time. And you probably are not going to see very much discipline in their day. Their flesh will err to these sides. But parents, this is because they're not mature yet. They're in need of great discipline. Parents, you will help yourself have endurance for the many years, many. Feels like a long, long time to get them to 18. The daily labor of bringing a child up in the good discipline by simply understanding what you're training them out of is, you have to understand this, you're training them out of selfishness, laziness, the nature of their flesh. It's helpful for you and your parenting to see their struggle in their sin so that it's not just personal to you and their gross, consistent immaturity and disobedience. We must see how ingrained their fleshly desires are so that we remain disciplined ourselves to be consistent and to focus on the next layers of discipline that they need. Hebrews 12, 11, the moment For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Greek word for trained here, gymnazo, it's where we get our word gymnasium. And again, it's helpful to think about, why do I hate exercise so much? Because exercise is taking a muscle and exerting it, stretching it, tearing it, hurting it. And by this, you strengthen it. Exercise is opposition. It's stress on your body. When you work out, your muscles do not feel like they're getting stronger right away. You actually feel like you're getting weaker. Your muscles feel like mush. But if you don't do this, then you will never get stronger. Your body will be more and more out of shape, and you will struggle with your health and often die young. God surely has ordained many struggles in this life as part of our training, the disciplines we must go through. Not because He doesn't love us, but because He wants to grow us. Parents, it is this way that our parenting must be as well with our kids. To be consistent, we need to not remove struggle from our children when that struggle is often some of the best ways in how they grow. So, great story, parable that's told, and they've used it for many years. It's very helpful. I'll share it with you again now. A man found a cocoon of an emperor moth, took it home so he could watch the moth come out of the cocoon. One day, the small opening appeared. The man sat and watched the moth for several hours, struggled to try to force its body through that little hole. 
and it seemed to stop making any progress until the man, it appears, that the moth had gotten as far as it could go, breaking out of the cocoon, and that it was stuck. Out of kindness and mercy, the man decided to help the moth, took a pair of scissors, and snipped off the remaining bit of the cocoon so the moth could get out. Soon the moth emerged, but its body was swollen and small. It had shriveled wings. The man continued to watch the moth, expecting that in time the wings would enlarge and expand, and it would be able to support the body and, and become of proper size so that it could fly. But neither happened. In fact, the little moth spent the rest of its life crawling around with its swollen body and shriveled legs. It was never able to fly. The man, in his pursuit of kindness and mercy, in haste, didn't understand that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the moth to get through the tiny opening were God, the Creator's ways of forcing fluid into the body and the wings so the moth would be strengthened and ready for flight upon once it reached its removal of the cocoon. Just as the moth could only achieve freedom and flight as a result of true struggle, we often need to struggle to become all that God intends us to be. Sometimes we wish that God would just remove our struggles, take away our obstacles. But just as the man crippled the moth, so we would be crippled if God did that for us. And so we cripple our kids when we do that for them. God doesn't take away our problems and difficulty, but He promises to be with us in the midst of them and to use that time to grow us and, and, and strengthen us. Parents, this must be our journey with our children too. They are in need of much and many disciplines. There are many days I, I often think about wishing I was able to raise my kids in a more agrarian atmosphere, on a farm or in the fields. Why? Because children who are raised on farms or in the fields are taught discipline early and often. Many times in the framework of those families, they're up working before sun up for many hours before they move to their schoolwork. Young kids learning disciplines at young ages capable of doing much and many things that are hard. What a contrast this is compared to how spoiled many of our kids are who slum around our house, longing and complaining to be entertained by screams and video games and driving them here and there and paying for this and that. In this, when we give in to this mode of parenting, we just delay their maturity as we are light on them by not giving them enough disciplines to shape them along the way. We've bought into the modern day thing of let kids be kids. And so we let them get growingly lazy. Doing their laundry for them. Not knowing how to work, how to be diligent, how to be on time. How to overcome hard obstacles. Parents, they need these disciplines. They need to learn to struggle. They need to know what hard work is. We need to press them more than we do. They need this for their good. What are the disciplines you've clearly laid out for them in each stage of their growing? 
These need to be many, they need to be regular, and they need to be held accountable to them. The other application of discipline is also a God-given prescription for parenting, so it's worthwhile to take a moment and talk about it here. Discipline also is using punishment to correct disobedience. God commands children to obey their parents, so it is right and good for them to be disciplined when they don't. If we are to love them, we need to discipline them punish them when they disobey. There needs to be real and right consequences for these things. Famous proverb, Proverb 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. How many modern day parents do you know don't spank their child or discipline them in these ways in the name of love for their child? God's word says the opposite. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. When a child does not feel the consequence of his his or her sin, they will not understand that that sin was bad and or that it deserves punishment. Church, if there's anything we need to do in raising our children, it is to show them their absolute need for salvation in Christ. that they would be forgiven of their deserved punishment from their sin. If they don't understand that sin and disobedience earns punishment, they'll never understand why they need a Savior. The horizontal good of proper and consistent punishment for sin and disobedience is also to prevent our kids from becoming spoiled brats. This is the emphasis of the modern-day phrase that is based on Proverbs 13.24, Spare the rod and spoil the child. There are a few things worse in this life than a disrespectful, spoiled kid. But I can name one thing that's grossly worse than a disrespectful, spoiled kid. And that is a disrespectful, spoiled adult. One of the major goals of our parenting is to help our kids see that it's not about them. It is to break them of their self-centered, sinful mindset and help them see rightly that life is about God and His glory. Our kids will not ever get this if we spoil them. And do not teach them their humble place with real and needed discipline or punishment that is fitting of the offense. Parents, telling your child that they were wrong is not enough to train them and to shape them as God has called you to. Let me give you an analogy to help you see this. If you're a young driver, if you're a young driver, and you're guilty of always speeding, driving recklessly, and all that young driver ever receives is warnings from the police who are constantly pulling them over, hey, just, just don't do this anymore. Will they, will they ever learn to change their ways? No, probably the opposite. They'll be bold to tell others, I can drive however I want. These guys never do anything about it. Oh, how effective a $300 ticket is when your allowance is 40 bucks, Or you make $15 an hour at your starting job. Oh, how effective increased insurance is, the loss of a license, driver's classes, and even jail time is 
to help a reckless driver change his or her ways. See with me that all of these are forms of discipline. They're punishments or consequences for the offense or the disobedience to train us unto what is righteous. Let me ask you, parents, are you consistent and effective in disciplining your kids, your children? Or have you learned to resort to stern warnings, loud voices, because at the end of the day, you're really guilty of not wanting to take the time to properly discipline them. God's word is clear to say that proper discipline is loving and needed, even though it's painful. Hard to execute on those we love. But we must see it's not loving to not discipline them. Hebrews 12, 5-11 gives us great insight here. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what, what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and, re- and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents, how are you guilty of being too lax in your disciplining of your children? Do you see that when you are lax, you are either being lazy and or you are not loving them and training them as God has called you to? Like I said last week, you must not let them practice disobedience. This is the worst thing for them. What that means is when it comes to discipline and punishment is that you must be consistent in disciplining them. Inconsistent discipline is as effective as no discipline. If you don't believe me, just trying to go to the gym, try to go to the gym haphazardly and see how quickly you lose weight or gain muscle. You won't. It doesn't work that way. It needs consistency. It needs follow-through, diligence. I've seen many parents over the years struggle to make progress in shaping their children away from sinful or disobedient habits, not because they weren't disciplining their kids, but because they were simply not disciplining them consistently enough or to the proper degree of the offense warranted for the disobedience. Parents, you must be diligent to discipline more consistently. The goal of this is to truly train the child out of their sinful, disobedient ways. Now, how we discipline is critical. Paul's point is also here in our verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This can come out in how we discipline our kids. We should never discipline our kids in fleshly, sinful anger. Discipline needs to be never for us. Something that makes us feel relieved 
or appeased. No, discipline needs to always be for the good of the child. If you're using discipline so you can feel better about what's going on, you're disciplining in a fleshly, sinful way. Philippians 4, 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness here, I've said to you before, it doesn't really translate well in this English translation. King James translation used the word moderation. Other translations use the word patience or gentleness. But all of these I still think fall short. The Greek word here means a radical evenness of temper. Let your radical evenness of temper be evident to all. We only have a radical evenness of temper because of Christ who lives in us and through us. We must be fixed on Christ and Christ alone. Parents, when you are not in a righteous place, if Christ is not giving you a a true radical evenness of temper, do not discipline your children. Get right first. Tap the other parent into the ring and get out. You should not discipline in your flesh so that you are not guilty of sin. One last point here, and it's important to say, we must be looking for ways to celebrate obedience and righteousness as much as we are disciplining disobedience and unrighteousness. The great late reformer Martin Luther once said, Spare the rod and spoil the child. This is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when, she, when he has done well. Yeah, I know. Our kids are pretty spoiled. They're not going to be too excited about an apple. <laughs> but I hope you get the point. Parents, you are taking the time to give your praise. Are you taking the time to give praise to your kids for the things that they're doing well and unto the glory of the Lord? This is also a part of training them and shaping them. Next, we see that we are to instruct our children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To instruct is to place in the mind. Think about the gravity of that statement. We as parents are to be bringing our children up in the Lord by properly instructing them. By being very attentive to what is being placed in their mind. Now this is not a free-for-all as to what we prioritize putting in our child's mind. Meaning it's not an area of Christian liberty. Not when scripture is clear as to the priorities we need to be fulfilling when it comes to what we are teaching our kids. For example, Proverbs 1, 2-7 says, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What is wise and what is true about God and His creation and the way we are to live our lives, who defines that is God. 
our creator, our sustainer, the one who rules everything and for whom everything exists. This means the primary priority when it comes to education is what God has revealed to us through his written word. In other words, spiritual education is the most important education of our kids that they are to receive from us. And yet, think about how much of our children's education is prioritized on or even decided by people or organizations who know nothing to little about God's good truths. Parents, when you think of the priority to teach your child, to educate them, do you first think about and give the greatest weight and focus to what they are learning spiritually? Or do you think about mathematics and grammar and history? The problem is for many modern households, spiritual education, God-prioritized education, is not first. It's not even second. It's often left to just a couple hours a week. And often left mostly to the church to do it for us. Fathers and mothers, this is why you need to be growing in God's truths and being disciplined and discipled and equipped with biblical worldview and a growing knowledge of the truths of God's word. Why is this so important? Because you will not teach what you do not know. And you will not prioritize what is not a priority to you. Who is deciding what your kids are taught? And who are you giving access to teach your kids? These are big questions. One that if we're honest, many modern day Christians have not slowed to give much thought at all. They've simply just followed what they see the mainstream doing when it comes to education. Another modern-day problem is that far too many parents have not taken seriously enough God's call on their life to be the primary ones to instruct their children. Or at a minimum, be accountable and responsible for anyone you invite to the table to instruct your children well, to vet what is being taught, to vet what is being put into their minds. For too many Christians, we've embraced a mode of secular education that is built on secular priorities and ideologies. In this, we hand over our kids to state-run schools to teach our kids what the state decides they need to learn or how they need to learn it. Parents, God did not give you kids so that you can give away your God-given duty to instruct them properly in the priorities and truths of God. Now hear me clearly, I am not saying that you do not have the freedom or the right to include other teachers, other programs, other tutors, or even other schools to assist you in this important task. But you need to see that God's word is clear that the priority for the kids God has entrusted to you is to be educated according to God's truths and God's priorities. This simply is not happening if you are simply picking a school and sending your kids there, trusting that they're going to get what they need. No, what they are learning is your priority and no one else's. So I ask you, how serious are you when it comes to what your children are learning? How much time and attention does this get from you? 
you might be starting to add up these last two sermons as a pastor. There's a lot of time that goes into God-honoring parenting. And I would say, yeah, it is meant to turn your life for 20 years on its head. That's only if you have one kid. Jennifer and I keep saying we've got to stop adopting kids. We ain't going to make it to see the last one to 20. <laughs> Fathers, are you protecting your children's minds by fully and properly monitoring what's going into them? You're the gatekeeper. Mothers, are you active and hands-on in the daily instruction of your children? Is this primary area of your child's formation a priority for your days in bringing them up in the Lord? It must be. What's sad is I see a lot of parents get really excited and devote a lot of time to extracurricular things for their kids, changing their lifestyles so that they can do this or that, but that very little of that time focuses really on proper education of their children, especially spiritual education. It must be so important to us what's going into their minds. You can't hope it's just going to work out. The level of wickedness and lies and worldly agenda that are being perpetuated in secular schools is appalling. Day by day it gets worse. And we who belong to Christ and whose kids he has entrusted to us, we need to not allow these wicked mistruths to shape our children's thinking. Pastor Vody Bauckham once said something profound that really hit home with me. I pray it moves on you in a similar way. It went something like this. If we send our children to be educated by the schools of Caesar, then we need not be surprised when they turn out to be Romans. I'll be honest to tell you that a growing majority of our Christian-raised children that we send off to secular colleges, and sadly a growing number of even Christian colleges, are fueling a hard turn in our young adult children from faith and what is good and true of God to lies and deception and worldly agendas. This is heartbreaking and surely in need of reevaluation as we aim to rightly and fully educate our children but to not allow them to be polluted by mistruths in the process that they end up losing their soul. Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? I know the argument. I'm readying them for all these things in the world, a proper and wide education, and the disciplines that come with it. But it ain't worth it if they end up forfeiting their soul. And I know many of you are in the midst of this. Many of you want the opportunity to go back and do it over. Love your brothers and sisters enough to walk with them in these things. Parents who are on your way in these things, slow to to seek good counsel, to, to seek the Lord, to not be wise in your own eyes, but to be diligent. Let me go a step further. For all of you who maybe partner with or send your kids to a school or program that calls themselves Christian, 
Christian. While it may look good and helpful and God-honoring in its proclamations or promises, you are still called by God to be the one who knows what your children are being taught or exposed to. Whatever they read or whatever they are taught needs to be fully and ongoingly vetted for actual biblical truth and proper priority. This is what God has called you to do. In other words, you don't get to say, hey, I send my kids to a Christian school, it's all good. I mean, I think you know enough to know now. You can't say that about any Christian church. Hey, my buddy or my friend or my kid, they're going to a Christian church. No idea the quality of it, what they're speaking, if it's filled with truths or lies or distortions. We just hang our hat on Christian, and it's not enough. Parents, let me show you how far this goes, how nothing is outside of God's calling you to oversee what is going on in your child's mind. It is on you, the parent, to be vetting and checking even what your kids are being taught here at church. Why? Because not everyone who's helping in every facet of church life is fully trained or always in any given moment saying what is right. It's on you to vet that, know it, and walk with your child in these things. The point is this. God has put the responsibility for what is being placed in the mind of your child on you, the parent. This is your duty, your priority, your call. The question is, parents, is it one that you are taking seriously and doing what is necessary to see that it is done according to God's good truths? What is the goal of our teaching our children? First and foremost, I would say, it is that they have a right view of God. This is Solomon's point when he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Without proper respect and fear of the Lord, we lack the most foundational truth that all knowledge is built on. We can teach our children the depths of literature, the greatest complexities of mathematics, but if they do not have a right fear of the Lord, we've given them no foundation to construct or properly digest and apply what they've come to know. The second goal of our teaching our children is maturity and faith in life. Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Education is not just about a well of knowledge. It is about how to properly apply that knowledge in a life that is of good character and God-glorifying purpose. This is why a catechism is such a meaningful and important tool for us as adults to be learning, memorizing, and knowing rightly so that then we are equipped to help our kids have a biblical worldview and framework and what they understand about God. Parents, what are you doing to instruct your kids first and foremost in biblical truth, in God-fearing, God-honoring truth? If your answer is we just send them to school, bring them to church, you're falling short of what God's called us to be to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Maybe repent of any lacking or lazy agenda when it comes to this area and move forward in conviction and action in ways that look to really honor God wherever you're at in the journey. Together as a church, may we commit ourselves to leaning in, to walking together, to growing in these ways, in all the ways we need to when it comes to parenting our children. This can be hard. Because many times, admitting that you're struggling in your parenting or allowing people to say hard things that need to be said about your parenting 
is cause for deep self-defense, self-justification. Many of you are awesome about inviting people to speak into your lives, but when it comes to this topic, you're like, no way. And in that, maybe it reveals the idolatry of the grip you have when it comes to this area of your own identity in it or in what you've made your kids to be for you. May we be humble and hungry, coachable, to be good stewards of this most important area of our lives, to walk in community and not be on an island figuring this out on our own. Church, I'm thankful for where God has us. I'm thankful for how he's leading us and refining us and shaping us. I'm excited to see what's in store for us as we pursue him in these things. I'm excited to see what our devotion to God's ways in these things will produce in the next generation and the next generation to come. Amen? To close, I ask that you stand with me. Let me read our passage in its entirety one more time, and then we will pray and worship God before we go. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Everyone's got something to hear, so let us hear it well. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for these two sermons, these two opportunities to delve deep into this passage, to do business with these things Paul has given us, by your sovereign hand and your holy word, truths that we need to hear, discernment we need to gain, grow in, conviction of sin, opportunity to repent and turn to righteous ways that honor you, that make the most of our days for the very reason why you give us a new day to live. That we not be guilty of um, framing up what's right in our own minds, but we'd be truly hungry to be submissive to your holy word in every way. Do your work in us. The work of the Holy Spirit to very specifically, surgically go to work in each person, child and adult, that we would grow in these truths and act on them, not be hearers only, but doers looking to glorify you in all that we are and all that we do. May our foundation be Christ, our power, our purpose, be the glory of the Lord. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.